0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs.
1: Evolution and the complexity.
2: Could I I say one thing? Oh, I'm not
1: on. Go ahead.
2: I'll just take 10 seconds and tell you this in case you haven't heard it. Regarding future topics, this one is about guns. Uh, Smith and Wesson is designing a gun for Canada. It's extremely expensive. You can't pick it; they just give you one that maybe not the one you wanted. It doesn't work. It can't be fired, and they call it the Senator.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Okay, so we are going to um, start our Q&A period, uh, but over our table uh, during lunch, what we thought we'd do is just take the first five minutes at the absolute most uh, for uh, Dr. Johnson to kind of go through um, some of the uh, arguments that um, creationists make, just to, to summarize and highlight, and then uh, we'll do the Q&A. So when we do start the q and I would ask you to line up at the mic, uh, state your name, Limit yourself to one or two questions <clears throat> maximum, and after you've answered your questions to your question, to return back to your seat, and then Dr. Johnson uh, will respond. So,
2: okay, Yeah. Uh, there's writing on these slides, but you don't need to read it because at, there'll be one, two, three, and I'm just going to mention to you these are the common objections that come up. Some people will say evolution is only a theory or just a theory, but maybe that's how it's used in Roundtable discussion away from science, it's not how it's used in science. A theory is the body of knowledge surrounding a topic, like number theory, gravitational theory. Evolutionary theory is what we know about evolution. It doesn't mean it's just a theory. Another thing they say sometimes is survival of the fittest. If If they survive, they're fit. If they fit, they survive. That's circular. But that doesn't come from any scientific background. That's sort of an argument. We we don't talk about survival of the fittest, really. That came from a sociologist, from a philosopher, Herbert Spencer. It wasn't even Darwin or anyone like Darwin. Uh, that's not what evolution is about. Evolution is about a change in a, the frequency of a particular gene, and it becomes more common and things shift. Another thing people sometimes say is, it can't be falsified or tested. Well, that is about as far wrong as can be, because everything in evolution is fought over the evidence, the details, the testing. And in fact, those are tiny tests and tiny steps, but we could blow the whole thing out of the water today or tomorrow if we drove out to the Rockies and found a bunny rabbit in the Cambrian layer. That's all we would have to do, as long as we could prove that that really was from the Cambrian. And I almost did that. This is me at the Burgess Shale, and I held this up to my son and I said, Dog? I think we just disproved evolution. (laughs) But no, it was a piece of shale. Okay, some people say, increasingly, scientists doubt the truth of evolution. No. I mean, even whether bridges need cement or not, I mean, even that among engineers isn't 100%. It's probably 9999 In science, the biologists and geologists all agree on the basic foundations of science and evolutionary science, but they, they bicker about the tiny details. Five, the disagreements uh, among biologists show how little support there is for evolution. No, it's the opposite. When a fundamental theory like evolutionary biology and biogeography is the foundation of a science, that's when the fighting really gets intense and starts because we're trying to shift it, move it forward, disprove it, to get an advantage over others, find the latest new fact, uh, and that makes it even stronger. Um, I like this one, if humans descended from monkeys, why are there still monkeys? Well, no humans now descended from the monkeys we have now, but we have a common ancestor. Uh, and that's the, that's the usual answer to that objection. And I'm sorry, but I go a little farther than that. I like to say, you know, to someone uh, who says, do you think we came from apes? Like a lot of biologists will say, no, we came from ape-like ancestors. And I don't say that. I say, well, actually, if you look at the taxonomy of the mammals, we are apes. Because there's a family, there's a family that includes humans and apes and some other primates together, and they're called the great apes. That's the way it is. Um, Probably some shorthorn grasshoppers don't want to be in the shorthorn grasshopper family, but they are. Okay, evolution cannot explain how life first appeared. Maybe so. That's a different argument. That's not what evolution is about. Evolution is about how species change and larger orders over time have branches in the tree of life. The origin of life way back at the beginning, who knows? Seeded from space, developed from clay, all kinds of theories. Very hard to get evidence. My last one that I'll mention that I really like, mathematically it's impossible for a bunch of molecules to come together and form a living thing. I actually saw this on television one day. They they showed a, they, a, um, a church up the road, had a poster that said, here's what evolutionists think. A bunch of molecules came together, formed a rose. A bunch of other ones came together over time, formed a puppy. Actually, evolution is the opposite of that. It's not random at all. Evolution is not random. There's a random component, just like there is in everything. But it's directed by the ones that have the best... Uh, Uh, reproduction and survival contributing to the next generation. That's the opposite of randomness. Plus, you can't back-calculate anything. If you want to back-calculate, let's do this. Go back to your birth. Think of all the random turns left and right. You missed people, you saw people, you met people. Maybe got married, didn't. Maybe got hit by a car, didn't. All these things have happened. You decide to move to Alberta or not. All these things. If you add those all up and multiply them all out, those probabilities it's statistically impossible that you're sitting here now. (laughs) It is absolutely zero. That's the probability. It's so close to zero, it might as well be zero. But that's because you can't back-calculate like that. You don't throw a dart out the window and it hits one blade of grass and you say, whoa, what are the odds? (laughs) Well, it's got to hit one of them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so on that note, I, uh, I
0: invite questions.
2: Here comes trouble.
0: <laughs> I'm Bev mundell Thank you, Dan. Um, one thing that the rest of you may not know is that Dan is actually a Renaissance man. Um, he does so many th- different things that are outside of his field, as, aside from being an astonishing scientist. Uh, He makes beautiful wooden bowls, and he's involved with gardens, and he's trying to get a garden going on Facebook and get people involved. And this is to lead to my question about, can you tell us about the ship and who made it? Okay. And hold it up.
2: Sure. Um, This is the beagle, which was a British bark, actually. It's a kind of brig in the British Navy. In the 1800s, this is a model of the one that Charles Darwin sailed on with Captain Fitzroy. Uh, I made it for students so I could point to it and say, now you know why Darwin didn't know everything and why he was often wrong. He was 22 years old, like I said, and on a wooden ship. Uh, That's a long time ago, and and, uh, plus it was fun. And they like to look at it and they're shocked that Darwin had cannons, (laughs) things like that. Uh, yeah, I like it a lot. I like the history, the fighting between Darwin and the fighting between Darwin and Captain Fitzroy. Interestingly enough, it wasn't about evolution, ever. It was about slavery primarily. Fitzroy was firmly in favor, and Darwin was a, power, a strong abolitionist. Uh, Terry Shellington, thank you very much for your presentation. It was certainly rich in information. Um, <coughs> My uh, curiosity is around areas of disagreement within the community of scientists that, uh, at uh, study evolution. Uh, can you name one or two areas where, uh, where there's disagreement or unanswered questions? Well, sure. I mean, uh, the, the whole area of epigenetics. What, what happens uh, that isn't specifically tied to certain genes exactly turning off and on? What are the, the higher complicated relationships in genetics that produce things like behavior? For that matter, to what extent is behavior related to genetics or not? Um, there's a problem. There, you, know, you know, the, the pop mentality where, you know, popular psychology, people like to explain things all the time in kind of a pseudoscientific way. That happens with evolution, too, sometimes, where people like to say, oh, well that, that, I can see how that evolved. I can see how that evolved. Each and every little thing we do. And, of course, it's not that simple. Uh, another is... Uh, if you get down to the real nuts and bolts of working at the bench or in the office, what evolutionists do, they'll bicker about the lineages of different organisms. Is this? Does this belong with this or not? And there are large numbers of rules for how things go into a clade. One clade or another, a clade is a branch. On the tree of life, that all has a common ancestor. Does it belong here or does it belong over here? Uh, I, I actually have a funny example. Not in my field, oops. Not in my field, but uh, In uh, 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 paleontology and the taxonomy of dinosaurs, that sort of of thing, I brought this, if I can just find it here, to show in case I had an opportunity to quickly read something uh, on how deeply people feel about things that the rest of us probably don't care about. Um, Let's see, here it is. Here's an example, right? Uh... There it is. Uh, okay, here's a, one example. One out of a million pulled off of the discussion, the scientific discussion uh, websites. This guy says, dear all, anybody want to guess what the, the tax, the, what the taxon, and taxon just means a group uh, of uh, species together. Uh, Dinonychosauria includes. It obviously should include genus uh, uh, dinonychus. So in my recent classification of class Aves, it should be Archaeopterygiformes, ge- Archaeopter uh, da 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 In Serenos Cer- in 1998 cladistic definition, uh, Dinonychosauria was the common ancestor of and Truodon, all of its descendants, but in his 2005 definition, changed his mind, bit crab-crab-crab, he explicitly excludes modern birds, therefore, according to his 1998 definition, His equals mine. Mine is better than his, blah, blah, blah. This is how people bicker. And they do it on the basis of evidence. If you've got the DNA, you've got the fossils, you can look at the two, and the community will decide who's right. So there's all these tiny little bickering things that go on. Now, in in the evolution of a disease agent, okay, a particular virus, how did it mutate to become the deadly one it is now? Is it this mutation on this gene, or is it another mutation on another gene? These things, I mean, who can say? They have to be examined. And people can have ideas that they think where this or that came from, but until you actually examine the evidence, which isn't always very clear, there will be disagreements. And those disagreements are often over the science, but sometimes maybe they're over the funding. So there if you look at the scientific literature, not the popular literature about evolution, but the actual scientific literature, there's just thousands and thousands of disputes, which often are... Settled on one side or the other, or maybe not settled for a long time. And they're usually over details. However, there are higher-level ones as well. And occasionally, an entire paradigm, an entire central way of thinking is flipped over. I mean, look at continental drift. It was only in the 60s that people suddenly realized, yeah, there is a reason that the continents seem to match up. They've actually separated. We had to to map the seafloor before we figured it out.
0: Dan, thanks so much for being here today. Um, One of the most disturbing and probably the most important books I've ever read was Carl Sagan's uh, book, The Demon-Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark. It was a real wake-up call that we need more scientists, esteemed scientists like yourself. I I just see, you know, when I hear about creationist intelligent design, people saying, oh, the world is only 6,000 years old when we know it's 4.5 billion. Um, What, as a father and a scientist, what would you, um, how would you want to see the education system shift it so that more science is encouraged? What opportunities would you like to see, for example, have, for your little boys to have so that they might, instead of playing on their computers, you know, war games, uh, pursue the sciences? I'd like to hear your uh, feedback. Thanks. Could you let us know your name? <laughs> Sorry, Great. Rena Wass. Thanks. Thanks.
2: Yeah, that is a very good question and a, and a very, very big one. Um, we have a number of problems at the moment that's standing in the way of science, I guess. Uh, it, is, it is in a downhill slide and has been for a long time. Um, in fact, I spoke at this venue in the 80s, and actually I thought people would shout me down and tell me no when I said, you know, there's a, there's a general anti-science movement in this nation that's growing and everyone agreed. So I think everyone sees it, sees that this is true, and it's gotten worse since then. So I think there's two problems. One is that uh, science in general is, is in decline. Uh, but in, in terms of an, uh, uh, funding for doing the work, expensive work, or, uh, or recognition. But more importantly, maybe the basic sciences, uh, the ones that don't automatically put something into a bag and sell it, uh, are the ones that are really in decline. And part of that has to do with economics, and the perception of what's important and how quickly we need the return. Do we need, are we going to plan just for the next two years if we are? Yeah, let's look at instant applications only. But if it's longer term, yes, we need, we need something bigger. I think that's a lot of it. The other is a fascination for science, a fascination for the natural world, uh, respect for knowledge. Uh, and, and kind of a separation of the rest of your life. I mean, science is a way of knowing things, but it's not the only one. Uh, love, liberty, things in politics, um, whether or not you go, you have a religion, these things are, are separate, and it would be wonderful to keep them separate and not stand in the way of, of actual scientific education and knowledge. If we do that to our children, we're putting them at a huge disadvantage. I know it sounds extreme, but in my view, I agree it is a kind of child abuse, it's mild compared to some of the other kinds of child abuse, but it shuts the door for them for their lives.
3: Bill Wiebe. Thank you for your presentation on evolution. changes. Okay. Thank you very much for your presentation on uh, evolution, changes to life forms. I was a bit disturbed by your uh, put down of uh, uh, belief and uh, faith, for surely the foundation of evolution, of changes in life forms, is life. And uh, you gave no attention to life. Where does life originate? Where does life come from? Evolution needs that as well, isn't that uh, true?
1: Could you uh, let does us... Does the speak?
3: study of evolution not also include the origin of life? Where does life begin in evolution? In order for changes to happen to life forms, where does it begin?
1: Thank you. Could you let us know your name? Your name?
3: No. <coughs> oh, I said my name at the beginning. I guess I wasn't close enough to the I mic. didn't hear it. Okay. Bill Weeb. I'm also a graduate of uh, Lesbury University. Okay, great. Uh, you want to ask anything else? No, I'm no. going to try to give
2: you an answer. Thank you. Um, uh, I, I didn't make any specific put down of faith. In fact, I said uh, uh, I don't have faith in evolution or in science because faith does not belong there. It's something entirely separate. It does not belong in science, it does not belong in science classrooms. Uh, and if sometimes we feel that we're doing something based on un supported reasons, uh, just a feeling, then we need to back up and look at it more carefully. So if I put down, I'm not not putting down anyone for having faith, Uh, you know, if someone has Christian faith, Muslim, Muslim faith, or Elvis Presley, or whatever it is that they like and love for no reason that I personally can understand, I have no problem with that. But it does not belong in science classroom because it doesn't help us. And as far as life, In evolutionary biology and biogeography and geology and so on, we are studying how the earth has changed and how life on earth has changed over time, and we see life as something itself that we can study. We're trying to understand how it operates, how one generation leads to the next, how disease happens, parasitism, uh, uh, ecological interactions, effects of the environment, all these things on those living things. We can see the cells grow, the tissues, and so on. Now, if somebody feels that there's something about that life that's somehow invisible or unknown or so far in the past that we can't detect it, that's up to them to explain. For me, uh, the life I see is all I really need to understand life. Uh, We only understand a, a scratch, really, compared to what we will in the future. But that is what we're studying. That is what it's about. It's about life on Earth.
1: is Jeanette Sean, and uh, the last two questions kind of relate to what I'm saying right now. Um, Many creationists believe you cannot reconcile a belief in God and evolution, yet the Pope believes in it. What is your opinion? My opinion about
2: uh, evolution and creationism?
1: Yeah, um, how it relates believing in God. Can I ask you to sit down after your question? Thanks.
2: Well, I think it's uh, entirely separate and not required for, I mean, uh, I, I'm, thinking of the, I'm thinking of the Harris cartoon, you know, the science uh, cartoonist who had this cartoon that showed a, one, one scientist with a whole blackboard full of math and chemical equations, and then a line, and then the, the end result. And in the middle of the line is, he says, and, and here's where a miracle occurs. <laughs> it might look that way, but then we find out what's going on in that line later. You know, We don't want to start saying, well, wait a minute, it's that little bit we don't understand. That's where God or whatever is. I don't think it's required. Now, if somebody wants to have that in their life, that's fine. But for what we're studying, we don't really need it. Uh, it's, it's not disproving it. It's not attacking it in that way. It's not needed. Uh, it's like if I'm building a bridge. Um, I don't need religion to do it. I need rebar, concrete, calculator, trucks. And that's exactly how evolutionary biology proceeds. Uh, so my view uh, on whether or not you need that kind of spirituality or connection to the past or what people thought centuries ago about what made the earth is that uh, that those things are nice traditions for people to have, and I hope they continue having them. But it has nothing to do with what's needed to develop the earth as I see it currently. That's my, my personal view. It's not required for me.
1: Knut, I just want to say one thing. Uh, we'll just stop with these three people uh, asking questions.
2: Knut Peterson is my name. Uh, just a little bit uh, further to the talk about scientists uh, being looked down upon. We have a talk coming up in two weeks uh, about muscling of scientists. Mm. Um, anyway, my question is related to uh, climate change. Uh that's a very hot topic, or if it isn't it should be. Um, can you give us some examples of where uh, other events in the history of the, the earth uh, that caused some significant climate change uh, has affected evolution sure. Um,
1: in two minutes or less. <laughs> okay.
2: Uh, there are minor changes. There are uh, small range changes all the time uh, as climate uh, shifts uh, one way or the other over time, and we are, we're able to track those. Many of those are lining up in the last 30 years because of the current warming and changes going on with uh, extra heat or turbulence or whatever. However, going back a little farther, not, not, lo- not far in geological time, but, say, in Pleistocene time, In the last 2 million years, we've gone through these ice ages where we've had unbelievable, extreme impacts of climate on life. If you go back 20,000 years, we would be under ice here, obviously. I think the people who write into it know. Uh, And all of our living species and systems were down in the hills of Arizona or something like that, or Mexico, and then came slowly back uh, as fast as a pine or a, or a, a robin or a... Grasshopper could go and recolonize the slowly developing soil and so on. So those long-term trends have been enormous. Going back even farther, say we go back 200 million years and we've got the continents in different positions, Alberta was sitting on the equator uh, in the distant past, for example, and, and in a shallow sea, totally different again. So climate changes, either natural or unnatural, have huge impacts on life, and there is no reason to believe that uh, current tracking of... The, the, the current climate changes that people are tracking, there's no reason to believe that that will not have huge impacts on the ranges and the numbers and the interactions of organisms. Now, can they move to a new spot when the soil hasn't developed properly for them or, uh, or the water isn't there for them? No, there's going to be a lot of reductions in diversity and losses and so on. So, yeah, huge, huge changes in the, in the past. And uh, climate, I often hear that... Among the, speaking of deniers, among the denier community climate denier community, um, you hear this uh, argument that well ch- climate changed in the past, we weren't there to do it. <laughs> okay, that's right, but that shows you how the system will respond to something and change because of it, and now we 're adding to it. so get ready. Thank
1: you. So we have about less than five minutes, so I just ask you to keep your questions and responses brief.: Thanks.
2: My
3: name is Robert Smith. <coughs> Uh, It's fairly well known that Darwin married his first cousin, and they had ten kids. I'm wondering, when did it become known that that's not a good
2: idea? (laughs) Well, I I have no experience as a genetics counselor, but uh, uh, I think there was even a feeling at the time that it was not a good idea. Um, uh, They actually had an above-average record for the time. I think they only lost two. Uh, and some of our great grandparents lost more than that. So, uh, interestingly enough, um, he wasn't the only one. If you go back and you look at the the list of people who married their cousins, and particularly in Britain at the time, although I don't know, I know nothing of Indian places like that. They probably did it as well. Uh, amazing numbers. I, I don't know why it was. If it was proximity, or you just you maybe you stuck with what you knew. <laughs> I have no idea. But it, but it lasted and lasted and lasted so good for them
0: hi Dan my name is Francis Schultz and I want to thank you very much for the presentation my concern revolves around what's happening for scientific research coming up here in Alberta where politicians think that they will know what you should be doing and that it should have commercial aspects to it. Can is there anything commercial about what you do? And will, what's gonna happen? Thanks.
2: Well, there are commercial things about what I do, uh, but, but I don't really do this. I'm talking about it because I like it. And, and by the way, I'll plug, uh, uh, we, we're starting a new project on potato insects that are moving up from the U.S. and threatening the, the potato industry. So here's a case where I'm using biogeography, data analysis, an understanding of insects to try to forestall some impacts of a insect that carries a plant disease coming into Alberta affecting a crop. Okay, so it's it's applied. And even then you often can't get funding. But you know, it's not just the federal government that's controlling science, it's also in the in the university system with the the movement towards uh, there, there's a there's a movement in the U.S. and Canada that suggests that maybe we should just take a pot of money and let the administrators decide who gets it rather than evaluate each science proposal on its merits. That would be not the death of science, but it would set it back and degrade it enormously. Uh, there's a feeling that maybe Edmonton should direct how things are done at the universities, and to do that they, they, they claw back as much as they... Can and then and then dribble some more back to the programs that they they like. You've heard all about this probably. Uh, so it's not just the federal government; it's uh, it's across the board, and it's a problem. And and I, I guess I'm worried about scientists. I mean, we have to have something to do. We're, we're driven. We're driven to have something to do. We want to contribute. We want to bring in money. We want to hire people. But what I'm really worried about is the current. Uh, swell of students who are moving into something else and the next one coming along that might not even have the classes and the labs to get into. I mean, look at the, the decline in government support for the local research station uh, and, and its sister stations across the nation. It's beyond belief. It's unprecedented. It's a very bad idea. And they're applied. Yeah. Imagine the people who aren't applied. They don't have a hope. In the in the natural sciences, what about the social sciences? They're even further down the pecking order. So, yeah, it's a bad situation right now. I won't sugarcoat it, and I worry about it too. I agree, but I think we can start uh, at the level of the education system. But we can't do that unless we have the support of the public to drive the government. I'm I'm not at all adept at that kind of thing, so it's not going to be me that does it. <laughs>
1: Thank you, and uh, thank you all for coming. And I'd ask you to join me in well in uh, thanking uh, Dan Johnson for his presentation.
2: Hi, I'm. J-
0: No, I don't know, not <laughs>